Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome to Jerusalem Muse, the Israel Teachers Podcast. I'm pretty sure that's our name now. I uh, oh, what do we do? We talk about what's going on in Israel and keep you connected to Israel and give you insight behind the headlines. I'm your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going hot. The first beginning of the spring heat waves or shrav, dry heat. Is it fair to say nobody in Israel will need their winter coats anymore? No. I actually predicted in my class today there will be one more spout of winter before we're done. Okay. One more spout. You heard it here. Well, thank you. That's been our episode for today. Along my many predictions that did not come true, you'll see this one too. (laughs) Actually, I think you're scoring pretty well on this podcast. Uh, Today we are recording uh, while in the United States there is a large conference of pro-Israel people, APAC. The what does that stand for? America Israel Political Action Committee. Is it committee? Shoot. I can look it up if you want. Would you look that up, please? Uh, and today we wanted to talk about uh, uh, what that means in American Jewish life. What does it mean in American Jewish um, culture? And what does it mean well, in? I was completely wrong. wrong, and I think I even got scolded for this when we once had an APEC person come and speak. Yeah, I remember being corrected. What was it? American Israel Public Affairs Committee, because they're he was very careful to explain they are not a political action group. What's what? I, what was the difference? Uh, they don't <laughs> <laughs> here's how I remember it. You can correct me. They don't lobby. They're not lobbying a set of policies. They work to make sure that the relationship between the government of the United States and the government of the state of Israel are close, no matter who's in either government and no matter which policies either government pursues. They make sure that there is connection to understanding that they're sort of like marriage counselors for the relationship between those two governments. Ally relationships aren't things that just go on their own. They have to be um, worked on and fostered just like any relationship. And so their job is to keep that relationship sound. So let me ask you the question that pops into my mind, which popped before, which is we have this podcast because we, you know, we say that we have a certain insight and we teach Israel studies and things like that. But we're confused what APEC does. No? So why would that? Because I, until this this representative spoke, I you know I would say no. They're you know they are a pack because you made Aliyah long enough ago that you, as a Israeli, weren't aware of so much of what Israel was doing. I, as a guy who made Aliyah at an older age than you, and somebody who was at APAC events, heard APAC speak, lobbied in Washington, not necessarily with APAC, but spoke to APAC about how to do it. So I think I was more plugged in than you. I was not. That was not a news flash to me. And if you talk to people involved in APAC, that's the party line. And therefore, they resist the idea that they represent the right wing of Israeli politics because they see themselves as essentially apolitical unless something is a complete Israeli consensus issue, unless across the political – which, is, for instance, they opposed uh, the Obama administration's Iran deal because all Israeli parties opposed it. So, and I'm, now and I'm also thinking back. When I was growing up in the 80s, right, and then going to the Jewish day school, or the Kiba, I've said it before, today, Barak, I don't remember APEC being so, like, a prevalent voice. Did you remember growing up APEC? Yes, I do. I remember my family being members and getting APEC newsletters to the house and reading them, and I remember joining the student newsletters as a student. I will say that they have, over the last, I guess, decade, created real space 
at, um, at for young people to be more explicitly involved in APAC. They've gotten better at making uh, high school and college age Jews feel more self-aware within APAC, in my observation. And what we're talking about today, when did these conventions start getting so big? The General Assembly, I don't know. I, I, I know that part of them being big is getting large numbers of young people to join. And they're now mega events where, you know, the present, you know, major figures in both governments, leaders of both governments are expected to show up and speak and rally the crowds. Yeah, I mean, and uh, I don't, I mean, again, is this is like the uh, last decade thing or has this been going on? I was completely unaware of it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you and I are now speaking outside of our area of focus and expertise because we're talking about even, you know, no, and that's fine because sort of the, the I think what I want to talk about isn't the details of APAC, although we could bring in somebody to interview one of our interview episodes. But I'm more curious about the following question. Do you think if there was no APAC, that would have a huge difference in American policy and its relationship to the state of Israel, A. And B, if there was no APAC, would that have a huge effect on American Jewish culture and identity? In other words, APAC in, APAC out. Within the Jewish community, if APAC didn't exist, would that have a big effect in American Jewry? And out of APAC, if there were no APAC, would that affect American policy? dramatically which would be a bigger difference to the american jewish community or to the american government well i mean we go back to one of our fundamentals really which is that in the end of the day governments act um really in their best interest i think the strongest thing that makes an american an ally with israel and so supportive of israel is it's an anchor in a very important turbulent part of the world with shared interests values and perspectives that was my next part of my statement exactly is that the and well there's only one mic this week so i get to cut you off whenever i want exactly good thing dean is not and anyway <laughs> um but I, right so that's exactly it it's not only that they're an anchor in a, in a region but they're the those shared values so i think that that ultimately is really what shapes the relationship in the end of the day um and uh and with without well, well, yeah. and 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 that and that by the way that's was exactly what we saw with the Obama administration. The Obama administration said said well we we really think that this is more in our interest and we're going to go do that and we'll tell you how it's also in your interest. But the, in the end of the day, Obama the Obama administration felt it was in their their best interest to deal with Iran, and that's absolutely valid. I mean, by the way, also politically, if you look at for instance Gallup polling in the United States over the last seventy years. Um, most Americans want to support Israel, and that's why national politicians generally have to speak positively about Israel. And although it, within the last five or six years, there's been a growing rift between the American Republican and Democratic Party with regards to how they talk to Israel, that's a relatively new phenomenon in, in the United States, because usually nationally, everybody speaks pretty positively and supports Israel overall. Yeah, and that's why I'm again because I think it's about part of those shared values. Um, it goes by shared values, but also kind of shared cultural, you know, history. Maybe right, the idea of the Jewish people and and some kind of Judeo Christian world. Uh, so I think that that's what's really. I think Exodus. I'm not joking. I think yeah. the novel and the movie were very very popular in the United States and led to decades of positive feeling in a way that you don't necessarily have in other countries. Although. 
well, you know, without getting too heavily into how other countries treat or or behave towards Israel, America. So, in other words, in terms of American political calculations for its foreign policy, Israel is a very useful ally. In terms of American politicians making their own political calculations supporting Israel, for most constituencies in the United States, is a benefit, and not supporting Israel is either irrelevant or actually unhelpful. Right, and so that's why, and that's why governments and countries act. So I don't know how much APAC is actually having an effect there. So do you think there shouldn't be an APAC? Or do you think well, it's doing anything? I, I didn't finish my answer though. I don't have to let you finish. I'm the host. You're the co-host. This is the one place in life where I'm the boss, man. <laughs> Boy, I feel. And then it, I really should have taken that second mic today. <laughs> You're really giving it to me. Um, no, but I think that um, uh, then the second part of that answer, why I don't think the American is so much as we we make a big deal about, you know, the Jewish vote and all that, but it, 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 it's pretty, pretty consistent in the parties, the Jewish vote, where they're going for. Um, and in the end of the day, there aren't that many Jews um, comparatively even tell of voting. So I know, I know there's different in terms of regions and importance in terms of electoral votes that we've saw over the years. But in the end of the day, there aren't that many Jews in America. Um, and, and I would say that most Jews are not voting on Israel. Uh, even even the, even the ones who love Israel, it's not going to be their main their main vote. There are those who do, but for the most part. So therefore, I don't think that it really has a huge effect on American politics. Look, I, there is a historical reality that governments often the that the it, it's a weird miscalculation that governments think you Israel the Jews have huge political power, partially based on a false anti-Semitic assumption that Jews control more than they do. That led to things like the Balfour Declaration and and other things in history where we see there's this vague sense that Jews control more than they do. I'm not sure that's not at work. APAC is a very powerful organization which which has very strong ties with politicians i'm not diminishing what they do but i do think there's this sense that oh jews the jewish lobby you know there was that walton Mearsheimer piece from a few years ago which has been more or less debunked the jews don't control and i think also we can talk about apac's influence and why those politicians like to go there it's because politicians in the end of the day like believe it, they basically believe in the message so it's an easy one you can go to a crowd you can say something you believe and get a lot of applause and a lot of attention why wouldn't you it's like a, it's a win-win for everybody it is a win-win because everybody's because everyone has the wind at their backs at apac everybody's working with a status quo that's working and i would say that's sort of part of the mission of apac is to make sure this stays the status quo that not to 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 make sure this boat doesn't rock too much because it's working actually pretty well in the United States. And and so the downside of that, of course, is feeding this perception that you don't have to be Louis Farrakhan, although he's pretty open and explicit, but you have this you have this Walter Mearsheimer, you have this this thing said in the United States, well the Jews control things. And the size of APAC feeds that illusion, which I don't think is a reason not to organize as Jews and be big and loud. But it is a weird thing that that does exist in America. Yeah, uh, of course it does. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't know if we want to glide into anti-Semitism here. And well, a little bit we do because you wanted to talk about uh, the Women's March leaders, but I want to get to that in a minute. I still want to. Do you think that APAC? So that's so we agree that it's doing uh, it's doing good work keeping the status quo. But if it didn't exist, that would probably, in our assessment, be the status quo. We're agreeing. What about, does it have an effect inside the Jewish 
community? Does it, does it have an effect internally in the American Jewish community? Would American Jewish self-perception be different without APAC? So I, I kind of feel like I'm answering this as an outsider at this point, really, because I guess I said it earlier. My consciousness of APAC has really come only in the last, you know, I mean, obviously I always knew it existed, but I'm saying a real... Well, honest, honest to goodness, we're both more or less outsiders because we both chose to live here and not work on the American-Israeli relationship, but to work on being Israeli citizens. So we're looking at it from the outside, which means our perspective is what it is. It's not the perspective of an American having this opinion, but it's the experience of two American expats living in Israel who are Zionists. What do we think? What's our perception? That's all it is. Dude, that's all this podcast ever is. <laughs> not, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm always talking like an outsider. Here I'm talking like an outsider looking in. True. But here, so here our outsider's perspective is, I think, relevant. So anyway, I would say that um, I remember reading once last last year I think it was or two years ago in an article that likened the APAC to like an evangelical revival <laughs> for like Israel Jews in their Israel. So I think that you know it really does do a lot in terms of it, I think it's the biggest uh, Jewish convention that there is. Um, I mean, whenever it, whether it's Israelis when I lived in America and now that I live in Israel, people who go to this general assembly always say, "Dude, you have to go. It's the best feeling in the world." Yeah. So I think it's like it gives that it gives that push. It gives a sense of you know we're all in this. You're, you're you, have a, you have a strong group behind you, and again, all these huge politicians going and big leaders, you know, makes you think. Oh wait a second, we're not so isolated. I think as Jews, we often feel we're isolated. We're you know we can't stand out. You know, like whatever, especially in outside of Israel. Like, and I think what it does for the Jewish community is you do see the power of um, of coming together and. Really, as much as you have people, you know, on the left or on this side, and this, and that, it really is a consensus issue within the Jewish community. Um, Israel, Israel being a consensus uh, again. Not. I mean, I think there was some concern that APEC wasn't a big enough umbrella group, and I think that's sort of why J Street was founded. And you still had. I mean, last year you had young Jews protesting outside of APEC. I don't think they're there this year, but. You know, there are some concerns that it's not a big enough umbrella. Right. Of, of course. But I think it still shows the consensus is what I mean. And that, that's a, right. And consensus doesn't mean you include everybody. It just means that, you, you know, it's a majority, a, a strong majority. Of I mean, clearly, right? Yeah. So so I think it, it, it definitely provides that, you know, push that everybody needs for their issue. Um, and again, I, I – students – I always meet students who talk about it in a huge favorable way. And a lot of our core 18ers go back during their college years and, you know, it's a nice place for them to meet or, or other students to meet and they, and they have a great time. <laughs> I mean, so I, I would argue from my perspective, and again, it's where our, our limited outsider perspective, I think APEC, although it achieves good in American politics, maintaining a healthy status quo between the two allies, I think it has a more important role to play. And whether you're actively involved or not, the trickle-down effect of having Jewish unity and effort and energy and, and, and excitement rallying around the state of Israel is a very positive thing for American Jewry. And I don't know that there's anything else that, other than support of the state of Israel that plays that role, keeping American Jewish identity exciting. Mm. 
Very nice. I think I think you're right. I mean, it's, it's only across, um, you know, uh, group lines, oh, yeah. right? Because you have, you know, the Reform has theirs, the Conservatives theirs, the Orthodox world has its various different ones. But you know, your Chabad Shluchim have theirs, right? But uh, across the lines, you'll find the whole variety of Jews there. And I think you're right. That's and that, I mean, I think that's that that's what Israel does for the Jewish community. It really, it makes that unifying factor. It strengthens that thing that we're always saying, which is that we are a nation, we are a people, that with a religion or other cultures within it. Um, and the APAC gives that ability to show that. Correct, because Zionism is the place where we unite as a nation and work together on building a Jewish future. Here on one particular element of that Jewish future, its relationship with the United States. But religion is not the relevant factor here. It's our national identity and our relationship to our homeland and, and wanting to make sure that if, if I'm a person whose home is in America, I want to make sure that my, my country has a, a, a good relationship with my homeland, which is the land of Israel. I, I think that plays a very important role. So that's, that's, that's where I see is the, the most important thing that APEC does, I think, and I'm not, again, I'm not criticizing work that it does politically, obviously, in keeping the allyship strong, but I think that the role it plays in American Jewish communities is, is, if anything, more important. What about you? You were concerned about this latest wave of anti-Semitic, Louis Farrakhan, the, what is he, the leader? leader. Something of the Nation of Islam. Yeah, there must be a title. I mean, it's funny how he pops in and out of the woodwork for the last, what, 30 years, 40 years? Since, since, I think since Malcolm X was around, no? He certainly was part of the Nation of Islam when Malcolm X was there, and he was part when Malcolm X turned his back on uh, Elijah Muhammad. I don't know that Farrakhan was right after Elijah Muhammad, but we're getting into... I think he's been in that. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Well, he's not a young fellow, but he recently has been going on, and you can look it up online. I'm not going to look it up long enough to put up links, but he's been recently going on... Some rants, which are... I've never gone to the official website I'm going right now to say, go ahead. But. Okay, well, this is how Alan ends up on an FBI watch list, because, <laughs> or I guess a Shabak watch list. The Honorable Minister. The Honorable Minister, Louis Farrakhan, is the something. So he's been on this, uh, uh, this, this run of anti-Semitic statements, you know, nothing new about it. I'm not sure why the press is suddenly popping them up. Is it because he hasn't been saying them so much over the last decade or so? Or the press has just decided to pay attention that he's been more explicitly anti-Semitic? He hasn't been relying on dog whistles. He's been saying flat out how Jews are controlling America and Hollywood and destroying American cultures and serving Satan and they have to be overthrown, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the latest, can you explain what's been bothering you about the latest controversy? Well, um, basically, a couple of the leaders of the Women's March, which has become a formidable formidable voice in uh, American left-wing political circles for change, um, and uh, have been come under this Louis Farrakhan controversy, you could say. One is, uh, I forgot her name, Tim Timber... I'm sorry, I forgot her name, but I should have looked it up before. She she went. She was seen at a Farrakhan speech, 
took a picture with him afterwards and the speech was released and it was violently, you know, anti-Semitic. And, you know, Somebody yeah. found a picture of Obama with Farrakhan from a few years yeah, ago yeah. that was apparently they tried to get rid of before the election. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw it too. So anyway, the stuff going on around Facebook as it is. But it's also the Congressional Black Caucus because these, these statements have become public. They've asked members of the Congressional Black Caucus in the United States to speak out against Farrakhan. And some peop- some members have been reticent to do so and sometimes pretty openly refusing to do so, to 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 uh, condemn his anti-Semitism. Well, and that's exactly what this is about. And uh, another one, Linda Sarsour, who we're all familiar, but you know, familiar with in terms of her year, decade, I'm not decades, but years of work. Uh, um, she's a Palestinian for Palestinian rights and and the negation of really Jewish rights. Um, uh, national rights, at least. Um, and there's always been a controversy over her as in lots of claims of her being anti-Semitic. She was uh, raised a lot of money, though it was a controversy whether it ever made it to the place. But whatever, it doesn't matter when the cemeteries were being were being um, defamed. Uh, but what's happened is this woman, uh, her co-leader of the Women's March, who basically endorses Farrakhan, Linda Sarsour, won't is asking for nuance and under and you have to understand the um the the contours of you know black life in america and you can't just come out and say you know it's anti-semitic or these are anti-semitic and people and it's the people and many people on the left who have worked closely with her in jewish circles or have supported her or have defended her against the anti-semitic remarks um on websites such as bad house barana they're saying wait a second you got to condemn this you got to like don't give me this nuance because we're always told, you know, well, when it, you know, it, when it comes about things, it has to be black and white, right? Or, or you can't talk about Israel with nuance. You have to come out straight and draw black and white moral lines about Palestinians. Okay, what about anti-Semitism? Well, we have to be nuanced. That's, I think, the hypocrisy that's bothering people. Yeah, and it's bothering people on the left, um, you know, not on the right, obviously, because on the right, it's it's what many people expected. Um, just and, and what I was saying to Mike earlier today is, I feel like when we often think of what would have been like to be, you know, in the late nineteenth century Europe or early twentieth century, and what those Zionists were thinking. I mean, that's exactly what moved the Zionists to. You're to, talking about what Jewish life was in the Western world decades before the collapse of the Holocaust. But well, yeah, for sure. In, in Europe and, and, and North America, there was this growing sense of not only sort of grassroots, uh, uh, a sort of a boorish, I don't know, rural anti-Semitism, but even in the intelligentsia. The Charlottesville, the March of the, you know, Jews, what was it where they were? Jews will not replace us. Guys, not only, not only farm, you know, you would, we could say that, oh, people lower on the socioeconomic ladder, but guys in like preppy khakis and white polo shirts yelling Jews are not replaced on a college campus. Yeah. And that and that and that was, you know, generally you know associated with what you're saying, the right, the white nationalist. The extreme right. You know, the extreme right, white nationalist. Um and then you had the left, and as you had that in Europe also, right? Back in the day you had the 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 communists and socialists. Well, of course the Jews are 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 a problem and and is seen as such a problem. And so you see that today again. I mean it's 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 the Bolsheviks hate the Jews for being fascists, and the fascists hate Jews for being Bolsheviks. And and whoa, <laughs> the the right hates Jews because they're Semites, and the left hates Jews because they're oppressing Semites, and they're white; they're not Semites. Right. So uh, it just it, it just struck me that things that you know 
seem to just repeat themselves. And uh, there is nothing new under the sun. Exactly. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Uh, right, we can come up with uh, some more of those cliches. Plus ça change, plus ça la même chose. And so I just was, uh, I, I don't know if I was flabbergasted, but of course also thinking, I definitely wasn't flabbergasted, I was just think, it just made me think. This is what it, this was what it was like. Except, of course, we live in a different society where, where where Western democracies are still the 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 major power play here. Let's say well, I think uh, the missing ingredient that happened was a few decades later you had an entire economic collapse. Not only the First World War, but you had the post World War Depression, which leads to what what I think as long as people can put their kids to bed at night with full stomachs, these things remain in the atmosphere, but don't destroy enormous numbers of lives it's when it's when the economy collapses that you have to really be worried right exactly and that's why when we like compare kishinev pogroms which were 19 you know 03, 03. 1903 of like 40 48 or something people who were killed which is obviously terrible and awful they had a shock the world it, it went around the world as a huge scandal that in 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 czarist russia 43 jews could killed and stores broken and houses broken and sparks the second aliyah is still not comparative to even the even the massacre of the jews after the first world war of the, by the by the white Russians, you know, against the Bolsheviks being caught in that civil war massacre of a hundred thousand Jews, or or of clearly not the Holocaust. So, it, the, the the I guess that's the missing agreement. And not even it's turmoil. Yeah. It's intense turmoil. You can turn down and turn up the turmoil. The 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 anti-Semitic atmosphere is there, and then it will it will manifest itself in reality, depending on the level of turmoil that society has reached. Luckily, okay, that's, lu- that's quite an upbeat note. <laughs> Let's go back well, to APAC. <laughs> no, but luckily, upcoming in the 21st century, I expect things are going to smooth out and go really. Things have been going so well that I expect a future with a little turmoil. Yeah, there's really no turmoil that going on around the world. It's all groovy. I, listen, I, I think that uh, I think. Let's try and end on a positive note. I'm closing yeah. my Nation of Islam website and let's try and open on a positive. Close on a positive note. Okay, Mr. Big Shot, what's your positive note? What's my positive note? Um, well, we are in post-Porum here, and we're heading into the spring, which means we're... So your only positive note is changing the subject. <laughs> well, which is, yes. <laughs> I would say my positive note is that what APAC is doing is bu- by building... Yeah, by building positive Jewish identity. It's our point from earlier. That by being positive Jewish identity for Jews to rally around, whatever your religious perspective, or even, at least in theory, whatever your political perspective, the united idea that we can build a better Jewish future is alive and well. And when Jews rally around that, that is what makes a better Jewish future. And we're going to see it. We're going to see it here in Israel, for sure, where we're all working hard to build a better Jewish future. How's that? How's that? Is that positive? Or you weren't listening to me? You were distracted and looking at your websites. Uh, I was absolutely listening to you. It was much, much more positive than I thought of. <laughs> much more positive than Pesach coming. <laughs> that is positive. Absolutely. That's exciting. Uh, but it's still a few weeks off. And it's not only exciting because we'll have some vacation, which I think we could use because... Are you exhausted? I'm super exhausted. Yeah, I'm super exhausted, but... Uh... Got a few more weeks to get through. But there it is. Let us also, before we close, let us announce a new segment that we will be starting hopefully within the next episode or two, which is question of the week. And we will be taking a question. It could be from a student in class. It could be for an alum. Or it could be somebody on our Facebook page. Um, 
which there's always a link to on our podcast, we will be taking a question a week and answering it. Sometimes we get questions from students, we devote whole episodes. But in general, we don't always spend enough time answering questions and building a sense of community and belonging. And we want to fix that. So a good idea was suggested to us, and we're going to start that. So if you put a question up on our Facebook group, or if you ask us in class, or you email us, or however you want to contact us, we will quote you in our upcoming new segment to look forward to, Question of the Week. Is that a good summary of what? 100%. Only way to make a caveat there. It's a good question. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We'll quote quote you. (laughs) Well, yeah. It has to be a good question. The criteria for a good question is good for a short podcast discussion, like a five-minute podcast hashing out not not that there are i think good better questions and worse questions but here are the criteria is specifically will it be good for this segment exciting exciting he says stifling a yawn or not even stifling i shouldn't say you were stifling all right well back to work thanks so much alan thank you mike gotta go teach tva bye bye we hope you enjoyed this episode of jerusalem U, the israel teachers lounge podcast Please feel free to subscribe through whichever service you use. Also, come join us on the Facebook page and ask us questions and keep up to date with what we're doing. We love feedback. Also, we would really appreciate it if you could take a few minutes and review and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher. It would make a very big difference for us. And you would earn our eternal gratitude. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.